You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, Sixers fans, welcome to a new episode of Sixers Daily. I'm your host, Jazz Kang. Before we jump into things, don't forget, subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us wherever you get your fix. Always appreciate a five-star review if you're inclined to give us one. And of course, check us out at libertyballers.com. Joining me for this one, as he does often, also one of the writers for us at libertyballers.com, Mr. Jackson Frank. Jackson, it's been a couple of weeks now since the Sixers have been out. How have things been going for you since their season ended? Uh, totally fine, really. I mean, you know, it's I think just the biggest bummer is you know, we haven't really gotten a lot of competitive playoff games. It's been fun to watch kind of how these teams adjust and uh, I'm still enjoying it overall, but, you know, nothing beats, uh, you know, a, a game coming down to the last couple of minutes. So um, that's been the biggest downside, but they've still been fun and, you know, trying to figure out things to prepare for the, to write about during the Sixers offseason, but um, can't really complain. You know, like I said, beyond maybe a, would like a couple more close playoff games, but they've still been enjoyable, if not as ideally as as preferred. Yeah, these all, I mean, I thought we would see closer games at least. I mean, the Mavs Warriors series obviously has not been, I thought that one would be entertaining, although I did think the Warriors would win in, in, in five or six, but uh, the Heat Celtics one, that's been interesting too, because nothing has been like, it's not like, oh damn, this is coming down to the final three minutes. So it has been like, do you agree with the sentiment? This is kind of the worst conference finals we've seen in a while. I don't know. I mean, I have to think back, you know, a little more in depth about it, but um you know I, I definitely feel like you know on a, on a night-to-night viewing experience you know just casually watching it hasn't been ideal but there's still been some really fun adjustments it's been cool to kind of see how how both especially in that Eastern conference finals how both teams kind of go about adjusting things um there's been definitely some adjustments in the you know in the western conference finals as well but maybe not as many for my eye but uh yeah like i said i mean it hasn't you know you know it just hasn't been ideally what we want but i still think there's some pretty enjoyable stuff we've seen steph have some big games we've seen Jimmy butler jason tatum bam out of bio luka Doncic, of course so um still some pretty big star power to enjoy but but yeah i, I get the the competition hasn't been as uh as close on a night-to-night basis as maybe we would all uh like yeah hopefully the finals whatever teams end up there although again looking likely that the warriors will be there from the west but hopefully whoever they play if it's the celtics or the heat we get to see some at least some better games uh jumping into some sixers talk jackson joel Embiid, the nba first team second team third team awards came out he ended up on the second team second in mvp voting uh overall if you look at the final ballot totals for the all NBA teams, he had 414 points more than Jason Tatum with 390. Still ended up on the second team alongside John Morant, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, and DeMar DeRozan. And then for the first end team, you got Giannis, Luka, Jokic, Devin Booker, and as I mentioned, Tatum from Boston. When you see this come out, and I, I think anybody who watched more than one single team play and anybody who actually pays attention to the league absolutely knows that Joel Embiid should have been part of the first team when you look at this 
Is it time to revamp this voting system and just saying, screw the center spot, let's just go forwards, uh, front court, back court? Yeah, I think you've, well, I don't even know if you had to go front court, back court. I just, I just think you should put the five best players on, right? I mean, like, mm-hmm. I would get maybe if it was an all star game and team, you were going to put these players on a court, but these, these five, 15 players are never going to, you know, play together, uh, you know, in this, you know, in this construction, right? So I just think you should get the five best players on. And I, like, I, I've advocated for that. Like, and I think if, like, voters should, if they get positional flexibility, like they've had with Embiid the last couple of years, Embiid and Jokic, they should use it. But I do understand maybe why it's more of an, an an onus and indictment on the NBA as a whole to just get rid of the positions because at the end of the day, you know, a lot of people just like to vote based on kind of what makes the most sense in terms of constructing a roster with, you know, two guards, ball handlers, a center and forwards. But, um, you know, so I, I generally want to, you know, I think mo- most of the, you know, responsibility should be on the league, but I do think, you know, voters, you know, should be better about using that flexibility to, to reward these players. And I think it's happened in the past. And you know, someone like Ben Taylor, who is a great historian of the NBA, has talked about maybe he has a tweet out there about like it's not this isn't just some unprecedented thing with Embiid being an MVP and runner up back to back years and not making first team. But um, you'd think at, you know in this era where you have a guy like Jokic handling the ball and Giannis and even Embiid or these bigger guys like or these bigger forwards like LeBron and in, in Luka Doncic that we would kind of get to this point where it's positionless and and we're not really kind of adhering to those things. And so you'd hope that Embiid's back to back MVP runner up and subsequent second team all NBA appearances would kind of be at a watershed moment, even if, you know, this is not a, this is not an unprecedented event, you know, in NBA history where, you know, an MVP finalist is, you know, quote unquote snubbed from all NBA first team because they happen to play the, the same position as the the winner of the MVP. Yeah. And then uh, I mean, th- it, to me, it's, it's the, the setup of this, right. You have all these voters who who take their time out there. They're, they're obviously their media members and, and people who, who, come up with this stuff and no disrespect to him, Michael Grange, who's with Sportsnet back home for me in, in, in Canada covers the Raptors does a great job of it. I'm like, dude, how much did you watch the West coast teams? You know what I mean? Like how much did you, how often were you up until one 32 AM watching games? Like that to me, that just doesn't make any sense either figure out a way to do it, like divide them equally by conference. I just feel like there's so much of a better way because if you look at the final ballot totals, like LeBron James got two, first team votes he played 56 games and his team stunk and as good as lebron is i i think lebron's to me the second best player that i've seen in my time behind michael jordan but just giving him two first place votes because it seems like that's the thing to do that's the part i find ridiculous but i mean I, i'm with you they're gonna have to maybe change things up where um joel you're messing with people's contracts too let's not forget that when it comes to the first second third teams uh, so again I, I think they gotta figure out a way to revamp this system and even looking at the MVP voting we got the we got the totals on that Jokic had 65 first place votes and beat ended up with 26 and beat at the most second place votes out of anyone with with 39 and then uh, Giannis was in third but uh, again we're not I don't want to go back too much into this because I think there was enough talk about the difference between Joker and Embiid uh when when we find out that that Nikola had won the MVP award but when you when you look at, at, at this like f- from your perspective and again you do great analysis just on the general game of basketball jackson but looking at this what what is your criteria for mvp yeah i mean i i think i don't really have ever a set criteria honestly and i i'm pretty lenient about trying to distinguish team success from individual success you know i think back to your like uh you know russell, russell westbrook one you know you could have made a case for Harden or Kawhi. But I didn't have an issue with Russ. That team was pretty depleted 
of offensive talent. And he was great and he was great in the clutch. So I didn't have an issue with that. He really didn't look like Jokic this year. I mean, he's down his second and third best players all year. Um, for me, it's just when I watch the game, who strikes me as kind of the, you know, casting the, the greatest impact on the game. And so that's, you know, it's a mixture of watching them play, looking at some numbers, all these different things. And so, um, you know, I, I think you could have gone with any of, of Jokic, Giannis, and Embiid this year and had a very good case for any of them. I think they were the three best players in the regular season um, this year. And so I didn't have, I didn't have an issue with that at all. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't love the kind of the conversation about criteria because, and maybe this is my interpretation that could be, you know, a criticism my, myself. It feels like there's it, criteria to me seems rigid. You know what I mean? Like it, the idea that you have to do this or this and this. And I just think it's, you know, like watch the games, look at some stats, you know, maybe talk with other people and just determine it from that. I don't think there should ever be one kind of, set list of criteria and maybe that's a flawed interpretation of the word criteria but um i just think you kind of got to go with your gut and you know whatever whatever tells you is the best choice there and you know i think you know the last the last couple of years you know there's a good case for Jokic. there's a case for you know a a, a Giannis this year a yoke Embiid this year a steph last year and Embiid last year so um that's kind of how I do it, but yeah, I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't checking off boxes or anything this year as I put together my hypothetical MVP, uh, you know, list, you know, at the end of the year or, you know, month to month or anything like that. Yeah. I, again, there has to be one winner and I'm not trying to diminish the fact that Jokic was amazing. You know, you take him off that Nuggets team who's missing Jamal Murray and, and Michael Porter Jr. Uh, the same thing as the Sixers. I think the Nuggets don't even, aren't even a play play in team you know, without, without those guys on the court. So again, it is difficult. It's, it's a hard thing to figure out. And the, uh, unfortunately there's only one winner for the MVP, but I do think there needs to be changes to that first, first team, second team, and how they, how they kind of base that because I, I'm with you just go with the five best guys. Those are the, that's your first team. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter if you have uh, next season, if you have Embiid, Jokic, Anthony Davis, these guys, you know, Carl Anthony Towns takes a leap and you got four centers. If those are the best guys, that's your first team. Um, Jackson, I want to jump into a guy who might be in consideration for first, second or third team coming up over the next few years. That's Tyrese Maxey. You wrote a great piece on him at Liberty Ballers. Uh, we'll jump into that after a short break. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, Jackson, we are back. Uh, we're talking a little bit about the voting for the MVP award, voting for the first team, second team there a little bit before the break. And teed up a little bit here that I want to get into what's going on with Tyrese Maxey. He was great this year. I remember interviewing him at training camp before the season even started. He talked about how he worked a lot on his three-point shooting, worked a lot on just you know learning the game and 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 wanting to be more 
of a setup guy, which we saw him doing in terms of Ben Simmons not being there and him taking the lead as the playmaker on the Sixers. But you wrote, again, you wrote a great article on the, about this. It's titled, What's Next in Tyrese Maxey's Rise to Stardom? Again, you can check that out on LibertyBallers.com. Looking at, at Tyrese's season overall, do you think he outperformed what the Sixers expected of him coming into the season and knowing the situation with Ben? Or do you think that they were very confident with Daryl Morey, Doc Rivers, looking at this is going to be the guy that we're going to lean on in order to take on more of a role as a primary playmaker? And obviously his, his scoring totals went up as well. I mean, I think he had to out had had to be you know in in XT and the expectation. But I remember back in training camp, you know, Doc Rivers was talking about how like it was a it was a battle between Shake Milton and Tyrese Maxey, and and no disrespect to Shake, who I think ended the year on you know a decent note, was doing some interesting stuff in the playoffs. But like that clearly didn't end up being a race, right? I mean, Tyrese just blew him out of the water from basically game one. And in, in, in fairness to Shake, he had some up and downs, some injuries and whatnot. But um, Tyrese is clearly the better option there. And so I remember talking preseason i don't know if it was on a podcast with you or just in general or you know, behind closed doors like i thought if maxi could be your fifth or sixth best player you would be pretty you know confident that result you know through year two because if, we don't have to like we can't forget that maxi was kind of a, a sporadic rotation player last year right opened the season in the rotation then had some ups and downs and you know, got some minutes at times in the playoffs and we all remember that game six against the hawks where he was tremendous um really kind of saved their season with that that spurt in the first quarter but um this was not a guy that was he wasn't average. He didn't average 13 points a game last year and, and play 23 minutes. Like he, he was a guy that started the year in the rotation and fell out because he had some struggles. And, and, and then he went to be in by the, by the fact that he you know, just was, was a solidified starter all year and, and a pretty consistent one at that offensively, at least. Uh, and then was better in the, in the postseason than he was in the regular season, which is a really hard accomplishment to achieve for any young player, let alone a small guard, um, you know, who went up against a couple of, Pretty, you know, interesting in, in long range, long, long rangey defenses uh, is a huge testament. So absolutely, I think he exceeds expectations. But again, I don't I, I would have to know, you know, have to have talked with with Daryl and company and Doc and whatnot about what exactly they expected. But just based on kind of my reading of their comments and their perceptions of him, uh, I think he definitely kind of you know overachieved you know, from their eyes. When you look at at the leap that he took, and I mentioned, you know, his three point shooting. You look at his his rookie year; he was just over thirty percent, just barely over it, but ended up at at forty two point seven for the year last season. Looking beyond just the outside shooting, looking at you know beyond his his playmaking abilities. Like I said, again, didn't have great assist totals in in terms of you know putting up near double digits a game, but we saw him facilitate. We saw him kind of set the table on the offense and and be the primary ball handler, especially. But when you look at the little details of his game, Jackson, beyond what the average NBA fan would see in terms of like I said, the shooting and and the ball handling, where else do you think he took a major leap in his game? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously the shooting itself, but I think he just got more comfortable like taking shots from different angles and setups and paths to those shots, right? Whether it was maybe that kind of that leaner going left or right. Um, I thought he was even better as a finisher in terms of all the ways he could, you know, convert around guys and traffic and whatnot. Um, clearly was much more comfortable as a pull-up shooter and, you know, as, a, as an off-the-catch guy. Um, I think continued to use his speed even better. That was one of the big things that he improved last year because he was out of the he was in the rotation then out and then came back late in the year and he clearly kind of understood better how to change speeds, change pace, things like that. Um, so that was most impressive. I thought the passing, you know, before the Harden trade, I, I wrote about it a little bit, but I thought he was definitely making strides as a passer. Um, didn't have to do much passing, you know, in, in the playoffs um, because you know, once Harden was acquired, I should say, um, just because you know that wasn't really his role anymore, but. 
Um, without that improved, I thought he got better defensively. He took on some pretty tough assignments throughout the year, whether it was a, a Harden early in the year. I remember in their home opener against the Nets, he took on Harden as a, as a defensive you know guy on the ball for times. Guarded Shea Gilds Alexander, Trey Young. Um, I think there's some other names that I'm missing for sure, but um, you saw him grow there. He, he, he was kind of the off-ball chaser in that series against the Heat, kind of making, you know, Max Struess's life pretty difficult until Struess got kind of kind of broke free in games uh, five and six. But I believe Maxi wasn't guarding him in game six, if I recall. I think they put Harden on him, if, I, if my memory serves. But um, so those are all big areas. Um, Curly has, still has to kind of clean up some things, you know, kind of understanding how to play the weak side defensively as an area of growth. But um, it was it wasn't just, you know, like you said, Jazz, it wasn't just how he got better at shooting there for he averaged, you know, 18 points a game and 21 in the playoffs or whatever, but um just better inside the arc, more comfortable getting shots off from different ways. And um, that's an important thing is being able to carry a larger scoring volume. You have to be able to get deliver shots in a number of ways. And I think that's that was one of the big things that allowed him to kind of increase, you know, how many shots a game he could take. And obviously it, it coincided with a, a minutes raise. I don't think his per 100 possessions numbers were different, but it's a much different role when you're a starter playing 35 minutes a night versus a, a role player playing 15 minutes off the bench and going up against reserves. So um, that was the biggest thing to me, I think, is just much more comfort shooting from an array of ways, I suppose. Yeah, and we saw him, you know, even with without Joel, and, and you remember that game against the Miami Heat where Joel and uh, James Harden were out of the lineup and everybody was kind of like, oh, shoot, you know, chalk this up chalked this up pretty much well as a loss, but then, I mean, he had a, a fantastic outing uh, in that game. I, you know, I believe it was back in, in, in March and then they ended up winning. He ended up finishing that game with 28 points um, just dynamite like that. When you, when you look at his ceiling now, right, he's through two years um, still has a ton to give in terms of where he's going to end up only 21 years old. Uh, we'll be turned 22 next season. When you look at his ceiling, Jackson, and let's say, you know, over the next three to five years, because we're expecting him to continue to improve, maybe not at the clip that he did year over year from year one to year two. But when you look at where you think he's going to end up, ultimately, what do you think Tyrese Maxey's ceiling is as an NBA player? Yeah, I mean, I think at the very least, you're looking at an all-star type player, right? Um, I don't know if, I don't want to, I think all NBA would be pretty lofty to get there, but there's a heck of a lot of young, talented ball handlers that are going to have to compete with. You know, whether it's, you know, a Booker, uh, a Luca, a, you know, a Trey Young, a John Morant, Darius Garland, um, you know, guys like that. So, and I know maybe Luca is eligible at forward and that could change things, but uh, I definitely think All-Stars is, is, could, is something that I expect. I don't know how many, I'm not talking like every year starting next season or in year four, but I think three or four All-Star appearances should definitely be something that's, you know, a, a realistic outcome for him. So um, he just, he's just going to be – he's such a fantastic scorer already. He's only going to get better there. I, I do think he could become a legit, like, notably impactful defender at the guard position. Um, I think the passing is going to get better as well. I think he's going to see a ton of film this year and kind of be kicking himself at times for some missed passing reads that he'll improve on next year. We already saw, like I said, the growth in year as a passer before his role kind of shifted to a much more scoring-oriented you know, position. So um, I think there's a lot of potential for him, but – I just, I, you know, I just, I don't know. I don't want to put too much pressure into all NBA because that's a really tough accomplishment to be a top six guard in a given year, especially given the depth of ball handler, star ball handlers we have that are, you know, around Max's age or a little older. So um, Ulster definitely feels realistic and, you know, I would say likely from just my analysis of the game, but all NBA is maybe a, a bridge too far in terms of definitive stance right now, but I wouldn't by any means rule it out.
Who knows, Jackson? He could finish second in MVP voting and still then <laughs> finish off the finish <laughs> off the, the three uh, NBA for second or third team. Um, looking at some of the deficiencies in his game. Uh, defensively, you mentioned, you know, and, and and you mentioned this in your article. We saw this a lot with Paul Reed a lot, too, where younger guys tend to move their hands, not their feet on defense. That's been the case for for many years. So that's one thing he definitely needs to work on. But you look at it and again, not not a huge difference. The Sixers defensive rating, 2.5 points better per 100 possessions with Maxi off the court than on it. Again, this comes with playing a lot more minutes and having more responsibility. But when you look at what he needs to do in order to round out his game on the defensive end and some of the other deficiencies, like you mentioned, looking at the at the passing lanes and, and figuring out who's open, who's not, and and you know finding the correct read, uh, taking what the defense gives you. These are all little things that younger guys have to learn. But from your perspective, Jackson, what, what do you look at things that he needs to get better at in order to round out his game to fulfill his potential, like you mentioned, as maybe getting into an all-star game or two over the next three to five years? Yeah, I really think it's just continuing to build the passing. Like, I think the defense is a secondary thing that, again, I believe will, uh, you know, improve, but I don't think it's like paramount for him. I think he could be roughly kind of who he's been this this past year defensively and still make, you know, an all-star game or two or, you know, three or four. Um, I just think it's, it's just the passing because I think part of his limitations right now are just that you can't give him, like, too much usage as a scorer because the passing is limited, but if you can broaden – of what's possible for him as a playmaker, then you've really got something going, right? You could get him to a place where you could, I mean, because he's already such a good scorer. And that's part of the issue. Well, I shouldn't say issue. That's part of where I think he has to grow is that like a lot of the clips that I included where I'm like, oh, I think maybe he missed a pass there. It's like, it's not a bad shot necessarily because he has such good touch and he can shoot from so many different deliveries. But like, you're just looking at kind of the maximum decision right there. Like it's an okay decision versus a great decision. And I think him getting that great decision and you know, making some passes rather than taking some shots will allow him to run more pick and rolls, just do more stuff with the ball in his hands because like his individual creation numbers are great this year. Like I think over 40% on pull-up threes, I think he was in the 80th percentile better as a pick and roll while under an isolation player for synergy. So um, the individual scoring is there. Like he can do a lot of that. I think you're going to see him draw more fouls um, next year as well. And so um, or just draw more free throws, I should, I should say. So, like, I think he's a three-level scorer, or four-level. If you want to include your know, free throw line, you want to go three mid-range layups and then free throw line. I think he's there. It's just about getting better as a passer and warranting more usage, getting better against traps. I think you saw traps bother him at times uh, as well, which makes a little sense with his size. And in the Sixers aren't a ball screen heavy team, so kind of figuring out what to do against traps as a release valve. You know, not him, but like what guys do when he gets trapped. I should say. Um, but yeah, it really just stems from the passing. I think it just kind of just earning more on ball reps and, you know, just getting to be able to do what he does best and, um, you know, find some skip pass, skip better to lay down pass. I think he, at times he would kind of take a floater or take a contested layup when he had a, a Tobias Harris or a Matisse or a Joel Embiid open for a kind of a layup there kind of wrapping it around the defense. So, um, just minor things that I think he's going to see a lot of on film and, and work to improve. He clearly, you know, the jumper was clearly his area of emphasis this past offseason, and we saw how well he refined that. So um, I think there should be a lot of optimism that he grows as a passer this year and um, and is, is warranting, you know, even more on-ball usage next season. When you look at his fit next to Harden, Jackson, you know, we saw them do a lot of good things together. We saw them do some not-so-good things together. I, I think that in the playoffs, when especially with against the Heat, where Miami was focused on again, not full court pressing or trapping in the sense that they were they were trying to like create a turnover. It was more to wear down the legs of, of Harden, and he didn't have the speed to really blow by them. And I thought we should have saw Doc say, "Hey, you know what? 
we can get hard on the ball at the top of the key on the offensive end, just let Maxi bring it up. You know what I mean? And let him try and blow by whoever's guarding him, whether it was Gabe Vincent, Max Shrews, uh, Kyle Lowry for that short period of time, like whoever it was trying to at least bother the quote-unquote point guard uh, bringing the ball up the court. But when you're looking at what Doc Rivers, assuming he's back, although there is a little bit of smoke to that fire when it comes down to the Lakers talk. I'll just say that much. But um, when it when it comes to looking how the coaching staff is going to utilize that backcourt together. What are you looking for, Jackson, in terms of trying to maximize Harden and Maxi together? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think they did pretty dang well offensively. Um, you know, I-, I I do wonder, like, if Maxi does take another step forward as a passer and warrant more on-ball usage, like, it'll require Harden to be, you know, a better off-ball player. We saw, you know, some some good stuff, a lot of not-so-great stuff, which is a long-standing issue of his, of course, the aversion to catch and shoot threes and whatnot. But, um, you know, I think... Maxi, at least in the playoffs, was a better in you know, post trade, was a better scorer than Harden. Um, I mean, this is a guy who, you know, post trade averaged 19 and like 67% true shooting. And I think he was, it was, but he was, he was uh, boosted by I think 48% from three. That's probably not sustainable. Um, or I'll say, well, it will not, it is will not. I will say it is not sustainable. My goodness, harder to, harder to say than I thought. It's okay. We're um, in off season mode, Jackson. That's okay. Right? Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> Apparently, but. I mean, this is a guy who averaged, you know, if you can take that down to 43%, I think he's probably still at 63% through shooting something like that. Like really ridiculous scoring numbers, that secondary guy. And then it was obviously great in the playoffs as well. You know, I think 21, 22, and 61% true shooting. So um, this is a guy that I think, you know, at least post trade, like I said, was a better, you know, better score than Harden. Now, of course, Harden is a vastly superior playmaker, but um, kind of figuring out the best balance to maximize this awesome offensive trio of Joel and B, James Harden, Tyrese Maxey requires you know, Maxi becoming better on the ball with passing growth and Harden becoming, you know, with Harden making it easier to move him off the ball with, you know, more willing to take catch and shoot threes and things like that. So um, I think it's a big offseason for the two of them, especially like just how they kind of what things they work on to maximize that backcourt, especially we know that Joel will kind of do whatever is necessary to grow. I don't think there's really any worries there. I don't think there's really any worries, you know, with Maxi either. I think it's just about Harden. He's, I think he's a pretty, He's a guy who definitely adds skills to his game, but it hasn't, most of them haven't really come off the ball. So now I think there's going to be more emphasis with some off the ball stuff this year from him. And that will be, that'll be important. So um, I think I love the two man game that we saw, especially in the playoffs from them. And at times in the regular season, you know, whether it's Harden screen for Maxi or vice versa. Um, and that's a really important thing, but yeah, it's just about those two and kind of how they approach this off season and, and kind of what they discern and, you know, identify as the most important areas of growth offensively to, to kind of, take that this team to the next level offensively because I think it was a pretty good it was a very good offense when those three are out there but I think you're probably looking for even more next year with a full off season to you know and a foot in time off to kind of adjust with other tendencies and whatnot but um yes that I think it's just kind of learning each other's tendencies and skill sets and, and working from there and we did see some some online videos of Harden looking I mean it's only been a few weeks but looking a little bit slimmer but again if we put stock into offseason videos Ben Ben Simmons would be a top top uh, 10 NBA three point shooter right so I mean, yeah I don't think, I don't think as as a pictures <laughs> media uh, or you know or even you know those who are a fan I don't think we can uh, neglect Ben Simmons uh, offseason videos and then and, and then uh, hype up James Harden offseason videos I think I think we are we are too smart for that, but but yeah, but I do, but I have it on the record that I do think a full offseason for Harden to actually train and get in the gym and not be just rehabbing a grade two hamstring strain will do wonders for him. And I think he could look better the next year, but um, I will not be uh, reading into any offseason videos or pictures of him <laughs> because 
that would not feel fair to Ben Simmons and what we've, <laughs> what we know, yeah, yeah, what we've yeah. seen from Ben uh, Jackson. Let's wrap up on this. Again, I'm not saying that this is going to happen. I have no inside knowledge on this, but we've heard reports from some of the best NBA insiders, including ESPN's Brian Windhorst. We've heard from Mark Stein of the New York Times, and they're saying, "Hey, Daryl Morey." has some lofty goals in the sense that he might want to look at trying to add another star. Bradley Beal, it was a name that we heard, although reports are late. The latest reports, part of me, are that he is going to opt into a five-year, $250 million extension with the Wizards. But if you look at Tyrese Maxey, and let's say you do have the opportunity to acquire a guy at the level of Bradley Beal, who maybe right now is, is a better overall player than, than Tyrese. That might change a year or two from now. But where would you be willing to maybe include Tyrese in a trade? Although, I mean, you look at the fact he's making under $3 million, you know, he's cost controlled and giving you surplus value on that contract, you know, seven days out of the week. But Jackson, when you're looking at that, would you, would you want to maybe let go of Tyrese in a trade if it meant you're getting another all-star guy to pair with Embiid and Harden? Well, I think, I think it kind of depends what what the ripple effects are of that you know salary is right because you're gonna i mean i imagine hypothetically if you're, you're acquiring a bradley beal or a zach levine or you know the pipe dream of damian lillard you're gonna have to move off to bias right and i'm not saying that like you shouldn't be willing to move to bias but where do you where do you kind of go from there like well, how do you how do you supplement the size you've lost and the kind of the floor spacing um so i i, I would be willing to move tyrese maxi but I don't, I mean, it's just tough. I, I, I mean, I think there's definitely, you know, some concern about Bradley Beal, who was excellent two years ago and was good this past year, but had some injury concerns. Definitely wasn't as good as when he made all NBA two years ago. Um, so I, I think I would still move Bradley Beal for Tyrese Maxey, but it also depends kind of what else you're putting in there. Right. Because like I said, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this guy is, you know, is an all-star next is an all-star next year and is maybe better than Bradley Beal in two years. So of course, the goal should be to maximize the Harden and Bead window. I don't think you want to get cute there, but um, you know, I just I wonder what the ripple effect because, as you said, right, is that you have a guy who's you know making you know three million dollars a year, something like that, which is well below you know kind of players of his caliber are making you know beyond their first contract. Usually, I would say always. My goodness, uh, Tyrese Maxey, top hundred player in the NBA, those guys make a lot of money. Um, but and so again, a vacuum, yeah. But I don't I don't know kind of what the corresponding moves would be, right? If you have to how you readjust there and whatnot. So um, like, I, I'm also the belief that like, I, I think that like, like I think Tobias was generally pretty good in the playoffs and, you know, definitely adapted his role well, but I don't think, and we've talked about it. I don't think his role makes sense in terms of like a guy who's commanding, you know, $38 million a year, a guy who's generally a floor spacer and can, and rebounds well and, you know, moves the ball pretty well these days um, and, and, you know, can do some stuff as an, as an isolation defender. It doesn't really make sense to me. So I, I think it behoove the Sixers to maybe less go about zeroing in on another star and that may require you to move Maxi and just kind of maybe trading Tobias Harris and rounding that and getting a, another stretch four and getting some wing depth and kind of shoring up your, your guard depth off the bench uh, instead. So that's where I would go. But uh, in a vacuum, yes, I would be willing to move Maxi for another star, but I just don't know, you know, I don't think in a vacuum is what we're talking. It was how it would play out. So I'd be more hesitant there, but it's not a firm no or anything. I just have to know kind of what kind of the the responding moves would be from from that. Yeah, and again, there's so many factors at play here for the Sixers this offseason. 
severely hampered by the salary cap would have to go deep, deep into the luxury tax if they want to trying to add another star. So that's where, you know, Tyrese Maxey's value, not only as, as we mentioned, as, as a going into his third year, potential all-star guy, his values through the roof, but you mentioned Tobias Harris, those guys, there's Matisse Thybul. There, I think we will see some movement, especially as we get up towards the June 23rd draft and into free agency. So it's going to be a fun off season for the Sixers. Uh, Jackson, we'll wrap things up there. Thanks for joining me as always. And, and always look forward to, to reading your stuff on Liberty Ballers as well. Yeah, always happy to talk Sixers and NBA, and I'm sure we'll do it again soon. Thanks for having me. All right, that's Jackson Frank. You can, as I mentioned, check out his work on our website at libertyballers.com. And as I always say, don't forget, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, wherever you get your fix. You name it, we are there. And, of course, we're going to have you covered throughout the entire Sixers offseason. Less than a month away from the draft. We'll find out in about a week if the Sixers are going to be able to keep their 23rd pick. That's all dependent on what the Brooklyn Nets want to do. So again, we'll have you covered whether the Sixers have their pick or not getting through the draft and into free agency as well. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.